All right, well, let's pray and then we'll review and then we'll catch up and we'll get to James chapter four. Lord, as we go to your word right now, Lord, we come humble and broken. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We pray that the word of God would go forth with power. Make this the most attentive hour of our week. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. I pray, Lord, that no matter what people may be going through today, whatever trials or difficulties, Lord, that you'd minister to every heart that you would meet us here. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. By the way of quick review, we always want to know the, the context, because if you take a text out of context, all you left is a con. Amen. And so this morning, we're going to continue to look at James's letter to the early church. Uh, the, the book of James is one of the earliest uh, books written in the, in the New Testament. So it's not long after Jesus has ascended into heaven and the church is dealing with great difficulty, great trials, they're being persecuted. So James writes this letter, not to a specific church, but to the church in general. James at this time, as we know, James was the half brother of Jesus. He doesn't even mention out, we see his humility when he refers to himself as a bond servant. A bond servant is a slave by choice. He had a choice to not to be a servant, but he chose to be a servant. And he speaks again, of course, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so James, in a sense, was kind of the pastor over Jerusalem. He writes this letter to encourage all of that early church. The first thing he talked to them about, and really, if you want to talk about the theme of James, it's faith that works. It really is a very practical book that has great exhortation for our lives. Some have referred to it as the Proverbs in the New Testament because it has such practical application for our lives today. The first thing he talked to them about was counting in all joy when they went into various trials. And as believers, we will go through trials. As believers, we will go through great difficulty. But the good news is we will never go through it alone because we serve a faithful God who will never leave us nor forsake us. And I know I've repeated it, but it bears repeating again. Trials are allowed to come to us from the Lord. Temptation comes from the enemy. Trials are used by God to draw us closer to the Lord. And then right after that, he talked about temptation. And when temptation comes, it comes from the enemy trying to draw us away from the Lord. So when we go through trials, again, he says to be patient. The word there is hupomone, to stand under. And to stand under that trial, to, to not miss out on what, how God wants you to grow through it. And what that does is prepares you for the temptations when they come that you may be able to resist the devil, which we will talk more about this morning. He then talked about not showing partiality. This is so tragic that this could ever happen in a Christian church. This should never happen. You know, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. And he's talking mainly in the, in the, in the text about rich and poor people, that they're all to be treated the same. You're not to look on somebody who's more wealthy or better dressed and treat them with more love and affection or more respect than you do somebody who may not look as affluent. Then he talked about the fact that faith without works is dead. See, guys, it's not faith or works or faith plus works. It's faith that works. And works are not our source of salvation, but they are the fruit of salvation. And he basically says, look, you, you got to show us your faith by your works. And then last week, we saw the, the power of the tongue. And if you were here, it's such a small, such a small thing, our tongue, but it, you know, just like a rudder can steer a whole ship or a bit can, can turn an entire horse. And it talked about the fact that out of the overflowing of a mouth, our mouths, 
of our heart, our mouth speaks. So we find out what's in our heart by what comes out of our mouth. Words don't you know, slip out. They pour out from the depths of our hearts. The tongue, again, is a little member, but it boasts great things and it can defile the whole body. So that brings us this morning again to uh, the next chapter. And, and I want to talk about James. We're going to be in James chapter four this morning. I do not believe we're going to finish the chapter because there's a lot here. But if you grab your outline, grab it. Let's uh, get some quick overview. Tell you what I'm going to tell you, then I'll tell you, then I'll tell you what I told you, right? So does your life reflect godly or worldly wisdom? You know, the Bible tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, which, which means without the fear of God, there is no wisdom. There's no such thing as a wise man who doesn't know God. They may have worldly intellect. They may be intelligent from the world's perspective, but there is no wisdom apart from God. And here are the three points we'll look at. Uh, we'll probably just get to the first two this morning. First of all, the pride of worldly wisdom. Here's what it does. When you think you're more than you really are, you get full of yourself. And we have nothing to be full of ourselves about. Amen. Amen. New people are like, you've offended me twice already. I've been here 15 minutes. Hey, the reality is that we are all sinners in desperate need of a savior and any good in us comes from Jesus. Amen. And if we have any gifts, they come from the Lord and we must never be glorified. He alone should always be glorified. Our hope should be they forget our names and remember his. Amen. But you see that the, the pride of worldly wisdom, here's three things you see there, the points. It produces quarrels and conflicts and strife with other believers. Too often Christians fight over non-essentials. You know what we ought to be fighting over? Unbelievers. Amen. We should, be, we should be challenging each other to see who's going to witness to him first. Amen. Who's going to love on him first? Who's going to care for them and reflect Jesus Christ to them first? Instead of debating other believers about non-essentials that won't matter when we get to heaven. Amen. When we get to heaven, there is not going to be a Baptist section and a, you know, Pentecostal section and a Calvary Chapel section and a, you know, there's not going to be sections in heaven. We're all one in Christ. But when we get puffed up in our own wisdom, and you know where else you can get puffed up? Be careful. You can get puffed up in your theology. Well, I've studied the Bible 9,000 hours and you're an idiot compared to me. We're all idiots compared to God. Amen. And God's the only one that matters. And he is the ultimate that we are judged by. We can be driven by fleshly desires. We can be, and the Bible says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Not only does pride of worldly wisdom produce quarrels and conflicts, it pollutes our prayer life. You know, you see Jesus, he gives the example in scripture of the woman with the widow, the widow with the might, right? She comes up and she's barely noticed and she takes this half penny that's all that she owns and she places it in the offering. And then behind them come the, the self-righteous, religious. And what do they do? They, they make sure that they make their money into the smallest denomination because they would put it into this thing they called a trumpet and you could hear it. As the, and they would shake the money in and it would make a lot of noise and they would stand there prideful. And Jesus says, she's given more than them all because she gave out of her lack. And the rest of them did it as a show. They would stand on a street corner and pray to be seen by men. And it's tragic 
because it does, it pollutes our prayer life. Instead of striving and fighting, we ought to be praying, amen? We need to pray more. Who needs to pray more besides me? The Bible says to pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. Prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes our hearts. It aligns our heart with his. We don't tell God what to do. By the way, if there's anything that nauseates, there's few things that nauseate me more than if you get on a Christian TV channel and they're making demands of God and telling God what God needs to do. By the way, if you can tell God what to do, he's not that great, amen? We don't tell God what to do, he tells us what to do, amen? And we come humbly before him and we seek his will. Well, God, you have to do this. And by the way, here's some ways you can do it because I'm so smart. Let me help you out, God. God doesn't need your help. We need his, amen? And we must not fall into the trap of allowing worldly wisdom to pollute our prayer life. Bible also says there, you do not have because you do not ask. That's been taken out of context. He's not asking you to pray for a Cadillac, amen? We want to pray that others would be saved. We want to pray for revival in our nation. We want to pray for our unsafe family members and friends. We want to pray for our government. Amen? Amen. We want to pray. And then finally, in point number one there, a life that's uh, reflecting worldly wisdom, pride of worldly wisdom, puts us at war with God because we become, we become friends with God's enemies. You know that God has enemies? We're going to see three of them the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're going to see that in this morning's text. The world, the flesh, and the devil are all enemies of God. They're all at enmity with God. They're all at war with God. And when we you know, chase after the world, we're siding with the enemy. When we're caught up in the flesh, and here's the reality. We do fight a spiritual battle. You guys know that we don't battle with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. That's what the Bible tells us. But I will say this, while we are drawn away spiritually, most of the time it's just plain stinking us. Amen? Devil's resources are limited. He's not omnipresent. He took a third of the angels with him. I don't know how many that is, but he's not everywhere at once. He's not the opposite of God. He's toast compared to God, and he's a defeated foe. Amen? But that being said, too often we want to blame the devil for everything, and sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's just our flesh. It's just what we want. It's just what we desire. We get drawn away by our own desires. Point number one, the pride of worldly wisdom. Number two, the path to putting pride to death and enjoying true peace with God. And I love these three points, and this is as far as we're going to get. Uh, we'll, we'll look at verse 11 through 17 next week. How do we get back on the right path with God? How do we put pride to death? Number one, we submit to God. We submit to God. We draw near to God. The text says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We've talked about this a lot. You are as close to God as you want to be. If you're far from God, that's not God's fault. That's your fault. Amen. He desires intimate fellowship with you. And then finally, we're going to see uh, humbling yourself before God. Next week, we'll see the humble character of godly wisdom to not speak evil or to judge your brother. Do not boast about tomorrow, but to seek God's will. So let's begin there in verse one of James chapter four, looking at the pride of worldly wisdom. The first thing we're gonna see, it produces quarrels and conflicts, again, uh, and strife 
with other believers. Verse one, it says, where do wars and fights come from among you? The word war there is battles and fights. What causes such quarrels and conflicts between believers, especially in light of what the Bible says? In Psalm 133, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to to dwell together in unity. Guys, when we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. When you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, We are on the same side, amen? We desire the same thing. We worship the same and true and living God. And the enemy loves nothing more than for Christians to be fighting with each other. Do you you know that that causes unbelievers to stumble when they look at Christians and say, even the Christians can't agree with each other? The Christians are fighting with each other. The Christians are debating. There's nothing wrong with a theological discussion. As a matter of fact, I enjoy those. It's wonderful. That's fine. But it needs to be done in humility and never in arrogance and always seeking to learn more and to know the Lord better. Again, I wasn't going to bring it up, but it's just coming to mind. Most of you know, six weeks ago, my 28-year-old son went to heaven. And I've been studying a lot on heaven because my son's there. And you know what? I've been challenged about some of the things I believe about heaven because if it's possible, heaven's even better than I thought. You know, we talk about heaven's better, amen? And when we get to heaven, we are going to be blown away by how amazing heaven is, amen? We're gonna be blown away by the greatness of our God. We're gonna get to heaven and we see this, the, the, the majesty of our God. When we see the greatness of our God, we're gonna recognize that we should have prayed more. God, if I'd known you were this great, I would have prayed more. And heaven's going to blow us away. No one's gonna to get to heaven and go, this is it? Is this all? We're gonna get there, we're gonna be blown away. So you know what? We need to have our eyes set towards heaven. We need to live every day with that eternal perspective. Lord, help us. And again, But sadly, here's what happens. We'll fight over non-essentials with other believers when we're all going, let's get along now. We're going to be together forever. (laughs) Amen. And there'll be no more quarreling in heaven and everybody's theology is going to get straightened out. Amen. Everybody's theology. But here's the sad part. The fact is that there's always been division within the body of Christ. Let's go all the way back. It's not you know, term the body of Christ, but the followers of the true and living God all the way back in the Old Testament. Cain killed Abel in a jealous rage over sacrifice. And what to sacrifice and not to sacrifice. And when his brother's sacrifice is received and his wasn't because he disobeyed the word of God, he killed his brother. Again, we talk about dysfunctional families. They're all sinful, amen? Going all the way back to Adam and Eve. Lot quarreled with his uncle Abraham. Absalom created a war against his own father, David, to to grab his throne. And even the disciples argued over who was the greatest in the kingdom. See, there's a reason this is in the word of God because this is something that Christians do. But you know who doesn't do this? People walking in humility, It's people walking in arrogance, thinking more of themselves than they ought to. As a pastor, they find out I'm a pastor and people start to give me their list of all the amazing things they've done for God. Oh, you're a pastor. Well, let me tell you all the things I've done. 
And they start to rattle off this list. And like halfway through, and sometimes they don't even catch the sarcasm. I go, wow, God's pretty blessed to have you on his side. What would he have done without you? <laughs> and sometimes they, they just keep going. They're just so thick. <laughs> but the reality is it's tragic that, that we can think that God needs us. He chooses us. He uses us but he doesn't need us. We need him. Amen? That's why it's called Christianity, not Davianity. Can I get an amen to that? It's the Lord. It's not me. It's him. He gets all the praise and all the glory. The early church did nothing but disagree. Read through the, read through the, the letters to the early churches. Almost always, Paul's trying to divide up people that are fighting. The Corinthians... We're competing with each other in public meetings. There was disorder. They were suing each other in court. The Galatian church, believers were biting and devouring one another, it says. The Ephesian church, Paul had to admonish them to cultivate spiritual unity. The Philippian church, the women were at, were at odds with each other, and Paul employed them to be of the same mind. And James mentioned several different kinds of disagreements in this book. Again, we talked about the rivalry between the rich and the poor, then church fights over positions. We saw this last week as people were desiring to be in positions of authority. And then the personal war, states speaking evil and judging one another. Why are these battles? They divide the church. The Lord hates it. It needs to stop. Amen? You know, we, we, we will pick people out based on how they worship or what kind of clothes they wear to church or you guys meet outside. I thought you were saved, right? <laughs> you don't have any stained glass. You guys, people need to get right with God, right? Do you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit or only the name of Jesus? Do you dunk forward or backward? You know, we're trying to find reasons not to be unified and it grieves the heart of God. Amen. And that's the exhortation. Where do these wars come from? So what's the source of the division? It says, notice what it says. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? So here's what happens. Those divisions that we have and those debates that we have are too often built on the fleshly desires that we have. They're based not on, our, on the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not based on our time spent in the word of God and the presence of God in intimate fellowship with God. But it's in our own fleshly desires and we want to use the word of God to somehow make what we desire to be okay. Are we living in that time right now or what? Well, pastor, it's, it's 2021. Of course I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. What does it say? Can you show me in the Bible that it says not to fornicate until 2021, then it's okay? Got a Bible verse for that? Can you show me in the word of God where God changed? God never changes his mind because he is perfect. Amen? But what we have is we have these debates that go on because we allow the culture to impact the church instead of the church transforming the culture. Amen? I get calls all the time. Well, how do you guys lay out church? Well, how long do you meet? You teach for an hour? An hour? 
as they're in line for Lord of the Rings three and a half hours long, right? But they, you spend two hours getting to the parking lot at, at Dodger Stadium, stop it. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? There's no peace, there's no unity, because instead of humbly submitting ourselves to God and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, we strive in the flesh. We walk in lust and envy and pride instead of humility, brokenness, and peace. It says in Galatians 5, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to, to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. In Romans 7, it says, for what I will do, I do not practice. What I will to do, I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Apostle Paul said that. A godly man said, the thing that I, that I desire to do, I don't do. The things that I know God wants me to do, I struggle. How many of you, the things you know God wants you to do, that you struggle? Amen? And so that's why prayer life is important. That's why intimate fellowship with God is important. That's why opening up your Bible, open it, read it, and obey it is so important. Amen? Because when you do it on your own, you're going to struggle. It says also in Romans 7, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. This is not a blow sunshine at you and tell you how wonderful you are message today. By the way, we never do that around here <laughs> because we're not wonderful. We, no, look, he's wonderful. And, and in him, we're holy. Amen. And because of him, he loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. You are his treasured possession. You are the pearl of great price where he sold everything so he could purchase you, so he could redeem you, so he could have a relationship with you. So I want you to know how precious you are to the Lord in his sight, and he's a gracious God, but at the same time, apart from him, we're wicked, we're evil. We choose our own way every single time without the, the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, but I see another, this is in Romans 7, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Why do we sin? Why do we sin? Well, the Bible tells us that we were born into sin, but at the same time we sin because it pleases our flesh. The Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. And we know the father of lies will draw us away into sin because we will be drawn away by that momentary pleasure with no thought of the long-term consequences before Almighty God. See, Satan is a liar and your flesh will draw you away to that which will harm you. And you'll have no thought of the long-term consequences. The conflicts between believers comes as we privately walk in the flesh, in carnality. There's no two believers both walking in the spirit of God toward each other can live with wars and fights among themselves. Let me just say this really clear and I'm going to offend a few more people. Okay. Uh, if you're offended by the word, we need to be offended. If you have two spiritually mature believers, they will not be at war with each other. Amen. If you're spiritually mature, you'll be willing to lose the argument. You'll be willing to die to yourself. Let me say this too. Two spiritually mature believers who are submitted to the Lord will not get a divorce. I'm glad Chelsea agrees with me. 
Look, I know that some people have gone through divorces in your past and God's a forgiving God, a gracious God, and a merciful God, amen? But what I want to say is that too often, but we're the special ones. Well, I know what the Bible says, but... And it's so tragic because the enemy wants to divide the church. The enemy wants to destroy marriages. The enemy wants to destroy families. The enemy, is, he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his, that's his job title. Lord, help us not to fall into that trap. The word there, desires, it says there, desires for pleasure. The word is hedonism. You ever heard of that? If the word is hedonism, it's a desire for worldly pleasure. We talk about this all the time. Satan will always tempt you with the thing that you can be tempted by. He's not going to tempt, I always say this, he's not going to tempt me with lima beans. It's not going to happen. You can put lima beans in my driveway, leave them there for 10 years. I'm not going near them. I don't like them. But it'll tempt me with tri-tip all day, amen? point I'm making is the enemy knows what your frailty is, and he will tempt you with that. And sometimes, you know what it is? It's your own pride. It's your own pride. Where you think you're smarter than everybody else. You've seen something in Scripture that no one else has ever seen. Let me tell you right now, if no one else has ever seen it in 4,000 years, it's not there. You're making stuff up. Can I get an amen? If it's new, it's not true. Amen? We don't need, any, we don't need other books, Mormons. Keep it. Amen? This, we got 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. How's that possible? Because God wrote the book. Amen? Have any of you mastered the 66 books yet? You got it down? I've been a pastor 33 years. I felt like I'm, I'm two inches deep in the ocean when it comes to God's word. I still have so much to learn. How about you? I have so much growing to do. How about you? Let's come in humility, not in arrogance. Notice it says, in your members, that's the flesh. All these struggles are rooted in the same thing, in pride of self and self, pride and self will of man. As man places the fulfillment of his fleshly desires above his walk with God, which is obedience and in unity with his body, that's selfishness. So when you place your desires above obedience to God, isn't that what we do every time we sin? Amen? We know what the word of God says. And maybe this is just me. Every time I sin, I run through five stop signs from God before it happens. Amen? Holy Spirit, don't, don't say that. Don't, don't say that. Most of you guys know I have a full-time job. You get around a bunch of salespeople, a bunch of prideful people. <laughs> I don't know any very humble salespeople, right? So they're just very, you know, and they're so competitive, and you're sitting there listening to them, and before you, you know, you think of some quip that's funny, and you know it's going to get the room going, but the Lord's like, don't say it. <laughs> Amen. Shutty town. Amen. Don't say it. And then what happens? You go through four stop signs and then you say it. And then you get the Holy Spirit conviction. Amen. And then you have to ask God to forgive you. And then if you have any humility, you have to ask all the people you just insulted to forgive you as well. But isn't that what the enemy does? So every time we're tempted to sin, 
The Lord, we know, makes a way of escape. We saw this last week. So whenever there's temptation, there's a way of escape. And guys, when we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he gives us the strength to take that escape. And every time we're tempted and we resist it, we actually grow spiritually. But here's this division. And he says, why is there division? Why is it? He says, do they not come from the desires for pleasure that war in your members. The key point here, James seemed more bothered by the selfish spirit and bitterness of quarrels than the rights and wrongs of various viewpoints. You know, it's, I think you could even make the case it's better to walk away and be wronged. Let yourself be wronged. Let yourself be mistreated in a way. It's okay. Let's, let's make sure that when we leave, we leave them with the fragrance of Christ. Amen? Was Jesus Christ wronged? Was he tortured? Was he beaten? Was he mocked? He could have stopped at any time he wanted to, and he endured it. Guys, we're Christians. It, means, it literally means little Christ, right? It means we're, we're examples of Christ. So we should not be warring with each other. We should be unified together. You know, our attitude can be as offensive as as any position we might hold, and sometimes more so. Look what he says in verse 2. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do, you do not have because you do not ask. You lust and you do not have. You murder and cannot obtain. You fight in war. Here are types of desires that lead to conflict that are described. Lust and covetousness. This is a desire to satisfy a fleshly hunger. By the way, your flesh will never be satisfied. Amen? New car smell wears off. Amen? We think, well, if I can just get this, then I'll be happy. If I can just, and there's things that we desire, and sometimes the things that we desire aren't bad. Well, if I could just meet a spouse, well, if we could just have children, if I could just get that promotion at work, if we could just get a better house, if we could just, and we start chasing after things in the world, and then you get them, and your flesh is not satisfied. See, our only place of satisfaction comes from intimate fellowship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Only in Him can we have peace. Through the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The flesh, it's, it's lust, it's passion, it's the desire for more that this world has to offer, and our flesh will never be satisfied. The word murder there is anger and animosity carried out to their fullest extent, the fleshly fullness. So driven by desire, you're willing to kill to get what you want. Doesn't it blow you away? The things, if you watch the bad news, like it's not the news, it's the bad news, let's face it. When you watch it on TV, the things that people will kill each other over. It is so tragic. There's, not, there's no honor of, of life. And it all starts with the fact that we're willing to kill the most innocent among us when we have abortions and kill babies, amen? We've lost our understanding of how important life is. How do you determine the value of something? What somebody is willing to pay for it. And what did Jesus pay for every life who ever was born on this planet? He died on the cross of Calvary. You are so valuable to God and so is every human life. And we as believers need to stand up for human life because Jesus was willing to die for it. Amen? And yet we get so caught up and we're so self-centered and so self-focused that, that there are people who actually kill each other 
for, for amount of money or for drugs or for power or for position or whatever it might be, may it not be so amongst believers, so tragic. Now, you might say, well, I'm not going to murder anybody. Well, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that murder isn't just an outward action, but it's an inward condition of the heart. Jesus said, if you've had hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. How many murders have you got in the room? Amen. I hate that guy. Oh, murderer. You don't even have to say it. See, this is, we're different. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness. I don't see anger, bitterness, pride, you know, self-righteousness. None of that's in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's all fruit of our flesh. Amen. The flesh needs to die. Jesus said of men born among women, the greatest was John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, there's got to be less of me and more. I must decrease so that he might increase. So if the best man who ever lived according to Jesus, outside of Jesus himself, said there's got to be less of me and more of him, how is that not true of all of us? Amen? There needs to be less of Dave and more of the Lord. There needs to be less of each and every one of us and more of the Lord. Selfish, prideful desires result in sinful actions, lust, murder, covetousness, actions driven by desires for fleshly fulfillment. Does your life reflect godly or worldly wisdom? Notice what he says at the end of verse two. We get to point two there. It pollutes our prayer life. He says there, you do not have because you do not ask. The reason for the destructive fleshly desires exist is because they are not seeking God for their needs. Why do we chase after the things of the world? You know why? Because we haven't found the satisfaction we should find in the Lord. You know, I think every, every believer should go on a short-term missions trip to a third world country. I've been blessed to go to India seven times and teach. You know, we've, we, we support uh, the orphanage in Uganda. We go down there, join the next trip. We want to go to place because we see people who have very little from the world's perspective and way more joy than almost anybody I've ever met that has a lot of stuff. Amen. Go to India and pastors, guy pastoring three churches, literally had an old garage door leaned to on a dirt surface and his family of five slept on a mat and they had a bag of rice and a little propane tank. And the guy was the happiest, most joyful person I've ever met in my life. And I look around and we, and we're, we're upset because the remote doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. AC just not really cooling my car fast enough. It's so ridiculous because we are so focus on our comfort. Do you know that God cares more about your character than he will ever care about your comfort? Amen. And you know what? He gave us the comforter because we're not supposed to be comfortable here. Amen. The Holy Spirit comforts us because we should be uncomfortable here. This is not home. There's a temporary place where we dwell. And, and I, I just, it breaks my heart that as Christians, you know, like when was the last time you shared your faith? Oh, I, uh, I don't know. When was the last time you had a divine appointment and you talked to someone about Jesus? I don't know. 
But you can tell me the last 8,000 times you went surfing or golfing or camping or whatever that thing is that you, you know, riding your motorcycle down the free. None of that's necessarily wrong. But guys, we ought to be sharing our faith and sharing the hope that lies within us every single day. Amen? Amen? Do you care that people are going to hell without Jesus? Do you really care? Because if you do, you'll speak up. Amen? Now look, I walk by people without witnessing to them too. We're all guilty of that. Amen? But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I treasure heaven more now than ever. You know what it does? I've been sharing my faith. God's always kind of given me a gift to share my faith. I, I walked out to the mailbox yesterday. Yesterday, there's a lady walking around with real estate flyers. I talked to her about the Lord for an hour. Guys, when, when there's divine, God, just give me divine appointments. And you know why we don't get them? Because we don't ask. Amen? I challenge everyone here. Pray that God will give you a divine appointment every day this week and watch and see what happens. Lord, give me an opportunity to share my faith on Monday. Give me an opportunity to share my faith on Tuesday. We'll come back next week and you all have had a chance to share your faith all week. God will answer that prayer every time. Amen? But we don't ask for it. What do we ask for? Promotion at work. Something that's not as important. The reason these destructive fleshy desires exist is because they are not seeking God for their needs. Instead of striving and fighting, we ought to be praying Amen? Said it last week, prayer praise. We start saying that a lot again to remind all of us. If you can't say something nice, pray for him. Amen? Can't do either, shutty town. Amen? So when there's somebody you're upset with, pray for them. If there's somebody you're angry with, pray for them. Amen? Say something nice or pray for them. That ought to be The mantra of believers, instead of lashing out and going to blows and defending myself and my rights, let's go humbly to the Lord. Who do you think you're talking to? Stinking vile sinner. Amen. But we get this mentality. How dare you treat me like that? By the way, the Bible says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? Servant of all. We all say that. Yeah, servant of all. And then someone treats you like a servant. And how do you like that? Amen. Treat me like a servant. Isn't that what you are? Amen? That's what we are. Notice what it says there. Because you do not ask, and then he says, and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Walking in the flesh, praying fleshly prayers. Most of what I see exemplified again on what we would call Christian television is nauseating. You seem to pray and you seem to have enough faith to command God and then God has to do what you tell him to do. Boy, I'm sure glad that God has said no to a lot of my prayers. How about you? I'm not in charge. He is. How dare we tell God anything? That is so, that's so ridiculous. Again, we get to heaven. We're gonna, everybody's like, well, when I get to heaven, I got some questions for God. Uh, no, you don't. Every knee will bow and every tongue. We're going to be like this. Can I get an Amen. We're not going to be standing there. I got some, I got some questions about things that you decided to do that I didn't agree with. No, that no one's doing that. <laughs> it's never going to happen. 
ask amiss. You come to God with purely selfish motives. You pray not according to his will, but according to your fleshly desires. Ever come to God in prayer with your own selfish motives? Anybody besides me? Lord, I, I prayed and the Lord didn't answer my prayer. What were you praying for? I get that a lot. Well, yeah, I, I, ask God, I pray and God doesn't answer my prayers. What did you pray for? Well, I told him I wanted a yacht and he just wouldn't come through. You know, I prayed and asked God for this. I prayed and asked God for that. And it's never like, Lord, use me. Lord, humble me. Lord, draw me closer to you. No, instead it's, Lord, give me. Lord, make me. Instead of humbly seeking God's will, pride and self-centeredness pollutes our prayer lives. In your flesh, demanding your will. And begin to treat God like a wish-dispensing genie in the sky. Oh, I'm going to rub the Lord's belly and get three wishes. That's not the Bible. Amen? We come to the Lord and say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. What did Jesus pray before he went to the cross? Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He's our example. Amen? So if you pray, and it's okay to pray about a promotion at work, but it shouldn't be, Lord, I deserve this. Give it to me. No. Lord, I'm up for a promotion at work. Lord, if this is going to draw me away from you, close the door. Lord, if, you're gonna, if you want to use this to provide for my family and an opportunity to minister to other people, or if there's going to be divine appointments in my new job, then, then Lord, bring that my way. But Lord, I don't want my will. I want what you want. And I trust you. Amen? Not making demands of God, but crying out to the Lord. Some of you will think I've lost my mind. When we went to see my son's body, it was rough because we couldn't see him when he died and they carried him out, covered. I brought anointing oil and prayed for my son to raise from the dead. Out loud, old place heard me. And you know why? Because we have not, because we ask not. But my prayer was, but Lord, only if it's your will. Because Lord, I know he's doing, if he's with you, he's doing better than all of us. Amen. And he, I don't want to bring him back here so he's, I'm willing to suffer here so he doesn't have to. Amen. But can we pray for that? Can Jesus raise people from the dead? What's the answer? We have not because we ask not. But we don't want to come selfishly demanding of God and then mad at God when he doesn't do what we want. Because then we think we're smarter than God. And that is so prideful. Amen. Instead, we come and say, Lord, your will be done. But I'm asking because you say that we can, so I'm asking. And if he says no, say, well, Lord, you know best and I trust you. And I don't want you to do this unless it's according to your will, unless it'll bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, help us. We must remember that the purpose of prayer is not to persuade a reluctant God to do our bidding. We shouldn't pray to change God's mind, but to, rather to change our hearts. Amen? We're not praying to get him to agree with us. We're praying so that our hearts agree with his. Does that make sense? So as we're praying, it's like, Lord, I'm praying because I want my heart knit to yours. I want to walk in the center of your will. I want to be the man and the husband and the father you've called me to be. And so, Lord, whatever you need to do in my life, do it. Lord, I surrender my life to you. Sometimes he answers that prayer and it comes in a tough way.
The purpose of prayer is not to get our will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Pray for his will and trust him and rest in it. Prayer doesn't change God's mind. Again, it changes our hearts. May deliver us from the storm or may it strengthen us through it. You know, we'll say, Lord, get me out of the storm. I'm not done. I'm working on your character. I need a little more of this. Amen? Well, if God loved me, he'd get me out of this. No, because he loves you, he's going to walk with you through it. See, Lord, if you love me, you would, you would, you would raise my son. If, if you love me, Lord, you would give, give me out of this disease I have. Lord, you would heal me from it. Well, sometimes God chooses to heal us, but you know what takes greater faith? For God not to heal us and us to praise him anyway and him to walk through it with us and for it to be a testimony that reaches other people for the kingdom of God. Amen? What did Job say? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That takes more faith than just crying out and God answering our prayer every single time. God, it's not about our comfort, but God being glorified. Lord, whatever's going to bring you the, gl- the greatest glory to your name, that's what I want. Boy, that's an easy prayer to say. It's another one to pray it. Amen? Lord, whatever you need to do to bring glory to your name, I'm in. I'm in. The answer is Yes. Whatever your question is, Lord, the answer is yes. Learning to praise and trust God, even when he says no. Well, I prayed and God didn't do it. He doesn't answer my prayers. He he answered, he said no. (laughs) Amen? No. No's an answer. And praise God that he loves us enough to say no. You're a bunch of bad parents. You won't let your kids play on the freeway. (laughs) Amen? Amen? You won't let them eat whatever candy they get at the Harvest Festival tonight, right? Can I eat all this? No, you're a horrible parent. No, I love you. God loves you. Amen? So much you'd rather die than live without you. How prideful and self-seeking and arrogant must I be to actually think my will or desire is better than God's? Third point there, puts us at war with God. This is so tragic. Look at, look at verse uh, 4. It says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Is that pretty direct? So if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God, because the world is at war with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus loves the world so much he was willing to die for the world. And what does the world do? Curse his name. Blaspheme his name. Shake their fists at God. And if you're walking with the world and if you're comfortable in the world, then you really don't have much of a relationship with God. Because if, God, is, as believers, we should be uncomfortable here. Amen? We're supposed to be uncomfortable here. How does a believer declare war against God by being friendly with God's enemies? James names three. The first one is the world. The world, the human society apart from God. Our society is anti-Christ and anti-God. Amen? I can't believe that they act this way. I can. We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? We shouldn't be surprised when the world acts like the world. We should be surprised when people who love Jesus act like the world and aren't convicted, especially. Amen. And the exhortation here is, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. 
Friendship with the world leads to being spotted by the world, to a desire for the approval of the world, to the loving of the world, and finally, the conformity to the world. As Christians, our faith is, is being challenged now in this country more than it ever has been. And what does the world want you to do? Conform! You don't conform, we're gonna, you're going to lose your job. You don't conform, we're going to do this. You don't conform, we're going to do that. Conform. No, I'm going to obey God. You're going to lose your job. He'll provide. I'm good. Amen? See, it's not conformity. It's submission to the King of Kings. And the world that doesn't know God, we shouldn't be surprised. Let's pray for them. We're not at war with them. We're praying for them. We want to see them saved. They're our mission field. Amen? But as believers, we should not deny. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He calls them adulterers and adulteresses. Now, does that make any sense? But let's understand the context. He says there, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that you friendship with the world is... Here's what he's talking about. Who are we married to? We're married to the Lord. Amen? Are we the bride of Christ? Okay. So we're the bride of Christ. So if we forsake him for another, what does that make us? Adulterers and adulteresses. That's, what that, that's why that word is there in the text. He's saying, look, when you abandon you're the bride of Christ. When you abandon your groom, when you abandon the Savior and you go after the world, you are committing spiritual adultery. Amen? I just came here because a friend invited me. I didn't know that. This is kind of rough. How do you know if you're a friend of the world? How do you know? Do you strive for its riches above all else? Do you seek its approval? Do you condone its behavior or even imitate it? Do you fit into the world? If we went through your neighborhood and, and, and uh, polled your neighbors and said, all right, uh, hey, you're Dave's neighbor. Give me three words to define that guy. They did that about you, your neighbors, your coworkers. Would Jesus come up in those three words? Because if it doesn't, you need to quit hiding your light under a bushel. Amen? You need to quit being ashamed of the gospel. We need to be Christians not just for an hour and a half on Sunday and an hour and a half on Thursday. Amen? If Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Amen? And here's this exhortation. You're adulterers. Why? Because you're conforming to the world. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're to be transformed. We're to be different than the world so not only is the, the enemy, not only the, the world, but also the flesh. Look at verse 5. Or do you think that Scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Flesh is not the body. The body's neutral. The spirit may uh, use the body to glorify God, or the flesh may use it, the body, to serve sin. So our body itself is not sinful, it's neutral. But there's a battle between the spirit and the flesh that takes place every day. You've heard me, I was a youth pastor for 15 years, it's an old analogy. Uh, which one, you know, the battle between the spirit and the flesh, which one wins the battle? One you feed the most. So if you just feed your flesh and feed its desires, then you're going to do what the flesh wants. You spend time in God's word, you seek his face, it's amazing how you will love God and hate sin. Amen? And so there's that battle, so there's this battle with the flesh that takes place every day. 
And again, we know the flesh won't be satisfied. And the enemy's a liar. He's next on the list. I just go do that. God already forgave you. It's okay. And he'll lie to you. And then the consequences will come and he'll laugh. Amen? But there's the, that battle with the flesh. When a sinner yields to Christ, he receives a new nature within, but the old nature is neither removed or reformed. It's still there, and we have to put it to death every day. Thus, there is a battle within. We must put the flesh to death. When we live for the flesh, it grieves the Holy Spirit within. Here's the difference. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. He never leaves. Okay? So when you walk with him into a strip club, come on, Holy Spirit. Amen? When you're with him, when you go out to party and get drunk, or when you go out and you're, when you're being prideful and arrogant and bragging and, and then you're, you're talking in such a way, when you're being entertained by the very sins that Christ died for, hey, Holy Spirit, come sit right here. Let's watch him curse uh, Jesus' name. Let's watch him blaspheme him. Let's watch adultery on the screen and be entertained by it. I'm not trying to be legalistic. What I'm trying to tell you is if you're walking in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You'll hate it. Amen. Amen. But it's a daily battle, isn't it? We're being transparent. The third enemy, look at verses six. and It says there, but he who gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the arrogant is at war with God. And if you humble yourself on the side of the Lord, he will lift you up. Amen? But notice what the rest of that verse says. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will what? So when, when, when the devil tempts you, God makes the way of escape. When you resist him, he leaves. Again, he's not omnipresent. There's only so many demons on the planet. If you're walking away from it, by the way, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Flip Wilson was wrong. Devil can't make you do anything. Amen? Only the old people here understood that. <laughs> Flip Wilson said, devil made me do it. Devil can't make you do anything. He can entice you. He can draw you away, but greater is he that is in us. You know that word resist is the same word that's used in talking about in Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about putting on the whole armor of God. And it's to stand right? It's that same word. We stand in the armor of God and then we can resist the devil. Those fiery darts hit the shield of faith. See, it's when we stand and we're equipped with the armor of God that we can resist the temptation. But guys, if you never spend time in the word and you don't spend time in prayer and you're not in fellowship and you're not using your gifts to minister to anybody else, you are a sitting duck for the devil. Amen? He just pick you off so because you don't pray. You don't spend time in the word. You don't have accountability with other believers. You're not using your gifts. You're easy. Why? Because you're standing in your own strength and stand, instead of standing in the strength. Of, the Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking may devour. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's a liar. He's the father of lies. He'll promise you pleasure and deliver pain. He may give you temporary pleasure for long-term pain. Satan loves to play on our ego, to puff you up, to encourage you to do it your own way. One of the most ungodly songs ever, and I hear Christians sing it, I did it my way. Frank Sinatra, pit of hell, pit of hell. You did it your way. How's that working out? Amen? We don't do it our way. We do it God's way. 
We follow Jesus. He is the way. Amen? Amen. It's not about me. It's about him. God wants us to be humble. Satan wants us to be proud. I have a hard time. I love sports. I played football through college. I have a hard time watching it because every time they make a tackle, right? Pointing in their name on the back. Dude, you tackle the guy. Get back in the huddle and be quiet. Shut up. The pride. Anything we do, we, people just stand and you know, admire themselves. Lord, help. Amen? Lord, help. By the way, you didn't show up the way you woke up this morning. I know it. You got, I said this a few weeks ago, you got in front of the mirror, assessed the damage, and fixed it up before you left the house. Can I get an amen? We're all dying bodies. Amen? Next time you're all prideful, just take a picture of yourself when you wake up in the mirror and you get over it. One of the problems in the church today, one of the problems in the church today is we have too many celebrities and not enough servants. The worldwide ministry of, with someone's name underneath it. Uh, if the ministry is yours, I want no part of it. It's Jesus that we follow. Amen? So worldwide ministry, there's one celebrity in Christianity, his name is Jesus Christ, Amen? We promote Christian workers so much that there's very little room for God's glory. In man, there dwells no good thing. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these last few verses just because. Because you don't want to go and watch those prideful football players anyway. Amen? <laughs> last few verses. Let me do this. I think it's important. Three instructions to peace. Okay, so here's the struggle. So how do we have peace? I'll read through it. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the first thing we do is submit to God. It's a military term for following orders. Getting in line behind the Lord and just following him. Guys, it may seem difficult, but is there any better thing we can do than just follow Jesus? Amen? So submit to God. Complete and total surrender is the only way to, com to complete victory. Holding nothing back from God. Making no room for anyone or anything else to be more important to God. Who's the throne on your life? Is it the Lord or is it you? Not give part of your life. Or pick and choose the parts of the Bible to obey. I like that safe from hell part. I'll take that. Uh, preparing a mansion for me in heaven. Yeah, I'm good with that. Angels watching over me. That sounds pretty good. Oh, die to self. No, 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 no. Exactly. The word to resist the devil, again, is the same word that's used, translated in Ephesians 6, to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice the second thing he says there. Not only submit to God, but draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I say this all the time. You're as close to God as you want to be. Amen? I love this illustration. An older couple is driving down the road, and they have, this is from back in the day, they had bench seats. And they're driving in the car, and he's all the way over here holding the steering wheel against this door, and she's all the way against the other door. And as they're driving along, they see all these young couples that are just sitting right on top, you know, the girl's right on top of her husband, you know, they're newlyweds, and they're just all real close. And then finally, the wife says to him, how come they're still so close to each other, and we're so far away? And he looks at her and said, I didn't move. He's holding, he's holding on to the steering wheel. He's not going anywhere. We'll say to God, how come I'm not as close to God, as, as close to you as I used to be? He would say, I didn't move. You moved. I moved. Amen? 
Guys, we're close to God as we want to be. Draw near to God. Isn't it? What a great promise. If you draw near to him, he's not going to give you the Heisman, right? He's not going to say, get away from me. He's not going to push you away. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. What a gracious and loving and merciful God we serve. Amen? If you come near to him, he wants to be near to you. You are his treasured possession. You're his bride. He loves you so much. He'd rather die than live without you. And he proved it on the cross of Calvary. Guys, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. We're as close to God as we want to be. The Lord, again, he loves you so much. What's holding you back? What's distracting you? Salvation involves more than submitting to God and resisting the devil. It involves a redeemed heart that longs for communion and intimate fellowship with God. Do you long for intimate fellowship with God? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Is he the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Do you spend your day praying? Is this praise on your lips? Is that the relationship we have with the Lord? Or I haven't been to church in a month. I guess I should go just in case that God thing's real. Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Draw near to him. He'll draw near to you. He'll be reflected in your behavior. And then notice what it says as we finish up. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify you hearts, you're double-minded. I'm offended. Well, guess what you're supposed to be. Amen? You know what? If you spend all day with him, you cannot help but walk in faithful obedience to him. Notice he says our intimate relationship with God impacts both our thoughts and our behavior. Notice he says two things there. Cleanse your hands, that's your outward. Purify your hearts. Cleanse your behavior and purify your thoughts. Amen? One is the outward actions and one is the inward reflection of what God has done in your life. Don't be torn between Christ and the world. That's what double-minded means. It's time to stop doing spiritual splits. It hurts. You got one foot in the world, the other one in the kingdom. Amen? And it hurts as long as we continue that way. If you've never fully surrendered your life to the Lord and gone after him with reckless abandon, I pray that today's the day you do it. Amen? The flesh has a selective memory. It remembers the parties but forgets puking in the gutter. Amen? It remembers all the fun things of old relationships but forgets all the damage that was done. Look what he says, last two verses. He says, lament and mourn and weep. Let the laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What in the world does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what that means. When you truly recognize sin for what it is, you'll mourn, you won't rejoice. Amen? The Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who mourn. People say, what does that mean? He's talking about blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Amen? Because he says, blessed are those who mourn and they shall be what? What? Comforted. When you mourn over your sin, who's the comforter? Holy Spirit, see, when you recognize your sin for what it is, you mourn over your sin. You don't make excuses for it. And when you mourn over your sin, you repent. And guess who he comes to send to comfort you? The comforter, the Holy Spirit, who comes to live inside of your life. Amen? Amen. So we do mourn. We lament. We should, we should get to the point where we hate our sin. We love God and hate sin. Amen? Lord, help us. We must come to the point of realizing that we're spiritually bankrupt and our hearts are broken over our sin. We're grieved by it. And then he says, lastly, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. See, the way up is down and the way down is up. When we humble ourselves, he lifts us up. When we're prideful and arrogant, 
God righteously judges us. The woman caught in adultery comes and falls at Jesus' feet. She's in mourning, she's convicted, and the Lord, where are your accusers? He forgives her and says, go and sin no more. And the self-righteous Pharisees are over there all full of themselves. And what does Jesus call them? A brood of vipers. A bunch of whited sepulchers, which means dead. You can say on the outside, you look perfect. And on the inside, you're filled with dead men's bones. See, if we will humble ourselves, then God will use us and bless us. And if we're filled with pride, God will bring us low because he loves us enough to do it. So in closing, does your life reflect godly or worldly wisdom? Pride of worldly wisdom produces quarrels and conflicts and strife with other believers. It pollutes our prayer life. It puts us at war with God. And the path to putting pride to death, submitting to God, drawing near to God, and humbling yourself before him. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. I thank you for everyone's patience today. But Lord, I know this is such an important part. Every, every word in the Bible is important. But Lord, I know how convicted I've been all week studying this. Areas of my own life that need to change. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness, that Lord, we would not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. Lord, keep us humble, broken, and desperate. Give us victory over the flesh. Help us resist the devil and he'll flee from us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said,